Hello, Cavs fans. We knew this wouldn't be easy. It was one thing last week when we took on an Orlando Magic team who was a woeful two for 23 from outside the arc, a game in which Franz Wagner missed double-digit shots before one finally fell for him because he insisted at going at defensive juggernaut Evan Mobley. But we were without Mobley, and that put us in a much more precarious situation, expecting Jared Allen to be able to step up and fill the void, and boy, did he not. He was terrible tonight. Foul after foul, limited minutes for him, limited impact, a game in which the best front court member of the Cleveland Cavaliers was the seemingly 400-year-old but actually only 32 years old Tristan Thompson, who gave a heroic effort in a losing battle with the Orlando Magic. We're going to get into all of that, but first, welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot blocked by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is 8 for 8 from downtown. Darius Garland hit it from Euclid. Lob Allen. Pow. Oh, that was gorgeous. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give the coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got it, the buzzer! Welcome, Cleveland Cavalier fans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't join you to celebrate an incredible win over the Miami Heat, one that was very satisfying, a game where the bench thrived, and we came back despite giving up multiple double-digit runs in the first half, a game where Dean Wade was huge, George Yang was huge, our boys Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, they all did work. They all ate. Well, tonight, that is not the case. I would say three of our Cavaliers starved to death. Jared Allen... Miserable tonight, foul out of the game and just 15 minutes of action, seemingly bit and jumped off the floor on every opportunity and the magic, an experienced team at taking the ball to the rim, certainly feasted in drawing fouls on Jared Allen and rendering him a basic zero out there. Now, we were already without Mobley, as we stated, so that was going to be long odds because Evan Mobley was arguably the most impactful, controllable variable last week in taking on the Orlando Magic and securing that massive win. Now, you could make the argument that our blistering hot shooting to begin the Orlando Magic game last week blew it open to a point where coming back from that would have been near impossible for the Magic. But tonight, we did not have that luxury as the Cavs, while taking over 40 attempts from outside the arc, made just 9, 22% from three-point land. Jared Allen was not the only zero out there tonight. George Yang after doing such excellent work to dig out of that early season 0 for 8 from outside the arc beginning, well, 0 for 10 and 0 for 5 tonight. Now, he was terrible, but so was Struess. Struess did not make a basket until 8 minutes left in the fourth quarter and finished the game with just 6 points. In a game where only 3 Cavaliers scored in double digits, our backcourt accounted for 58 of the Cavaliers' 94 points. That is certainly quite the hole to dig out of. And a collective wing effort of 1 for 23 from Struess, Yang, and Okoro. Now, I deserve everything that happened as a front-running sack of shit that I am. But if last week was an example of a horrible outlier from the Orlando Magic, tonight that was returned 
in kind to the Cavaliers. And unfortunately, they did not have the ability to benefit from the high percentage shots that they usually get on the inside because both of their big men were out of the lineup. And say whatever you want about Yang and Tristan Thompson, but any shots they get at the rim are going to be far more difficult to convert. The same can be said for Dean Wade, who I thought was solid tonight, but again, not a loud effort from him. He does not take a lot of shots. He started out the game well enough, though. I thought he was doing excellent work. Dislodged a couple balls from Paolo Banquero. Finished the game with nine points, six rebounds, and led the way in offensive rebounding. Now, the Cavaliers, to their credit, mostly due to Tristan Thompson and some big work from Dean Wade and a lot of tip-outs that ended up in the hands of Cavs. Dean Wade, it felt like every one of his offensive rebounds came running to the free-throw line to catch a ball that was tipped out by one of the other Cavaliers around the rim. But at the end of the day, they finished with 17 offensive rebounds, which was more than the Magic. It did not feel like that, though. And that's the thing. A lot of these metrics, you look at the box score and you would say, okay, the Cavaliers went to the free-throw line and on godly amount of times. How often does Darius Garland get double-digit free throws? And the answer is three times. This is his second highest total of the season. The only game in which he took more free throws was against the Golden State Warriors roughly a month ago. And that was a game in which he shot horrifically, but lived at the line. I don't think there's a good way to frame this game, other than to say that I don't even think the Orlando Magic had that good of an effort, but they blew the doors open in the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter, to the point where it was a nearly insurmountable lead. Now, we were neck and neck the entirety of the first half. In fact, we led at halftime, but a 15-point third quarter was pretty devastating, and an 18-point Orlando Magic lead was difficult to overcome. Yet... At the end of the game, we did manage to get it down to five points when Donovan Mitchell stole that ball and took it for a layup uh, in transition. However, there were a few plays tonight that were just disastrous in transition. Specifically, there was a play where we got out on a fast break and Mitchell decided to give it to Darius Garland, who I think, after what happened with Caleb Martin in the Miami game, is understandably a little bit skittish of getting trucked from behind at the rim. So he got too cutesy with it. Dean Wade managed to recover the ball, and rather than pull up from three, he tried to throw it into Tristan Thompson, who had a man on both sides of him flanking him on the block, and that was an immediate turnover. That was one disastrous transition attempt. The second came late in the game when Donovan Mitchell stole the ball and seemed to be far too fixated on who was pursuing him rather than just going to the rim as hard as possible. And he stopped, he pump-faked, he got the ball swatted out of bounds by Gary Harris, I believe, and uh, it ended up being an easy basket that then did not end up being converted. So a lot was going wrong. Terrible wing shooting, horrible fouls by Jared Allen that took him out of the game, a game in which we did not have a safety net. Dean Wade is a luxury when he's allowed to defend aggressively, but even early on, Dean Wade picked up two early fouls. So... You can't go through a game where Tristan Thompson is your only big who manages to stay out of foul trouble. We didn't play Damian Jones. They brought Brobley up. He didn't log any minutes, but I didn't want that. Anyway, I just wanted our big man rotation to be Allen Wade Thompson with a little bit of George Yang playing the four. Tristan Thompson is given that veteran leash in terms of the physicality, shoving and tussling underneath uncalled. But that does not happen with a big chunk of our roster. And again... I'm not complaining about the officiating. Let's just be perfectly clear. It's absurd 
to put this on the officials in any manner in a game in which our backcourt got to the line over 20 times. And 33 free throw attempts is an absolute ton for us. Darius Garland was magical. The line looks great. 36, 6, and 5, and he, you know, took 20-plus attempts, which he almost never does. Nine attempts from outside the arc. Everybody wants volume from Darius Garland. Sadly, it's very difficult to offset an outside shooting performance of 0 for 14 from the wings that log significant minutes in Struess, Nyang, and Okoro. Darius Garland needs to be celebrated. We did not recover from that horrible third quarter. We gave up a 12-0 run to the Magic, and in the middle of that run, there was a possession where Darius Garland had three looks from outside the arc on one play. We got offensive rebounds multiple times, fed him three times, and he missed every single one as the Cavaliers went from a one-point lead to trailing by 11. Now, that may sound like I'm taking a shot at Garland, but I'm not because what I'm saying is he was the only one who could create looks, let alone buckets, in the third quarter. We did not make a field goal for eight consecutive minutes in the third quarter. And those bookend field goals, the one that we made and the one that came eight minutes later, they happened to both be from Darius Garland, and they also happened to be the only field goals recorded in the entire 12-minute third quarter. Darius Garland was a bad two for seven. The rest of the team was an objectively horrible 0 for 10 in the third quarter. 10 of the 15 points came from the hands of DG. That is not a recipe for winning. Unless what you're hoping to win is a game of Russian roulette. Now, the supporting cast was not there, but Darius Garland was resilient tonight. Even without the presence of his lob threats, I thought Darius Garland was relentless and methodical in trying to get whoever was guarding him onto his back and penetrating and getting to the rim. And he did it multiple times. He was finishing on the left side of the hoop off the glass wonderfully, generated multiple and one opportunities. So considering the weapons that he had to work with and the shading that the defense could do to come to him, knowing that we didn't really have lob threats, the only thing that was costing the magic when they would try to abandon Tristan Thompson was offensive rebounds. But they weren't really at any risk of Darius throwing it over the top to anyone because there just simply weren't people to do that with. He had a couple beautiful wraparounds to Tristan, who was left alone when Paolo tried to double. But ultimately, it's still hard to generate enough offense with that type of set to sustain and beat the Magic. Those should be found baskets. They shouldn't be the crux of your offense in the second half of a close game. And it did feel very much like the DG and TT show. Now to our other guard, I thought Donovan Mitchell was underwhelming despite the 22 points. And part of it was probably somewhat due to Jalen Suggs. I did not think Donovan Mitchell had an extremely impressive game. I thought he was playing very much aware of the guys that were on him, not the usual free, reckless aggressiveness that you see from a Donovan Mitchell and his shooting performance left a hell of a lot to be desired. Struces was downright terrible. Just one for nine, didn't make that basket, a, a layup that he got late in the game with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter when we were already in quite a hole. There's no good way to defend Jared Allen here. 
it's not just that Jared Allen was quiet from a box score perspective. It was the way that he was getting fouls. You know the Magic's game plan. You know they're going to attack the rim. You know they're going to try to draw fouls. Jared Allen has to stay down. Some of those, yeah. There's a couple that I thought he went basically vertical and they kind of slid under him. There was one specifically Franz Wagner got him on early. That's pretty soft. But the sixth foul was absolutely inexcusable. And during that game... Brad Dougherty or John Michael, I forget which guy said it, but he said something to the effect that JB is telling him, you got to keep playing just as aggressively. I don't care about the fouls. I don't know why you would tell him that because he was playing stupidly. It wasn't a matter of aggressive 50-50 whistles. That sixth foul was the type of foul you commit when you have to take a shit and you want to be fouled out of the game. He logged less minutes than Sam Merrill tonight. That is how unable to stay on the floor Jared Allen was. This would have been a huge chance for him to make a statement about his ability to anchor the front court without Mobley tonight. It's not going to get any easier either because the Celtics, we got them two games in a row and Zinger's back and Mobley is probably not going to be. Now, staying out of foul trouble could have changed that entirely. Allen seems to be a guy who picks up momentum as the game is going along. When you're in foul trouble like this, you don't really have an opportunity to do that. And the sad thing is that breaks a pretty good streak by Jared Allen. He has only played without Evan Mobley eight times in his career. And heading into tonight, he had won the last five consecutive games. He was on a five-game winning streak in games where he played and Evan Mobley didn't. This was the first loss since 2021. So a real bummer because I guarantee you I would have been trumpeting that if he continued that streak tonight. Evan Mobley has been an Ironman for these Cavaliers since coming into the league. So to have to go through this stretch, which is a great barometer of where we sit amongst the top teams in the East, it's pretty disappointing to have to do it without Evan. But in a game where the outcome didn't go our way, there still was a couple of feel-goods. Darius Garland felt great. Tristan Thompson, just an amazing story. A guy who we thought might just be a token presence, essentially clapping and cheering, has become a rotation big for us, and his minutes are consistently positive for the Cavaliers. Tonight, undoubtedly the best big, and his tireless efforts on the glass made this even possible for us to potentially come back from. We didn't have enough. Ultimately, if we can't knock down shots, it doesn't matter how many offensive rebounds you get. Now to Craig Porter Jr., because he is going to come up. We lose a game, and he doesn't get off the bench. I wanted him to get into the game tonight, and I think tonight was a night you could have justifiably done that because the Wings played generally terrible, at least offensively. They played terrible, and I know there are questions. Okay, can CPJ be a reliable off-ball shooter? We know what he can do in creating looks, but on a night like tonight where Darius Garland is running the offense so well in terms of his probing, Maybe they didn't feel like getting CPJ those reps was as important as having people out there to space the floor. But the guys we had out there to space the floor weren't performing. I think you could have snuck them in there when we went super cold in the third quarter just to see. Plus, it was a difficult job rebounding against a very big Magic team tonight. And CPJ rebounds much better than most guards you'll see. I definitely think he should have made it into the rotation tonight just simply because I didn't think that we were playing very well outside of Tristan and Darius. And another thing with CPJ is he seems to have a great chemistry with Tristan. In a game where Tristan essentially became our first big man, I think CPJ could have hit the ground running. Now there's one more story I want to touch on. The Cavs part is done, but I wanted to talk about the in-season tournament just briefly because, as you're already well aware, LeBron James 
tournament MVP and the Los Angeles Lakers, tournament champions. They won the inaugural in-season tournament, something that I thought was pretty fun, enjoyable. I agree with many of the critiques. I'd like a little bit longer of a seeding round just so that one loss doesn't effectively knock you out. I wouldn't mind to see uh, seeing it expanded. It, more games means less fixation on this margin of victory. Now, I'm not particularly offended by teams running it up, but I know that was some of the discourse. I'm sure the NBA would like to limit that moving forward. And the only way to dilute the margin of victory is to expand the sample. Because just look at the Knicks bracket. They made it in largely because they had two teams in their group who had horrible point differentials, the Wizards and the Hornets. Now, the Hornets, the Wizards went 0 for 4. And even though the Hornets went one for three, they lost so badly in their three losses that their point differential was even worse than the Wizards. So the Knicks, just on those teams, they won those games by over 20 points apiece. That's a hard thing to come back from in a four-game group play scenario. So I definitely think that could be expanded. But I also, the reason I brought this up is to take issue with the people who are going at LeBron and the Lakers for celebrating after winning that thing. How fucking miserable do you have to be? I saw a tweet from Michelle Beadle that said something to the effect of, well, with a bubble championship in the in-season tournament, it's almost the same as one real championship, which is so fucking annoying. And I don't even think if this was just a Lakers win, let's say it was just Anthony Davis and LeBron didn't take part in it, I don't think people would be nearly as dismissive. But because LeBron James wins something, this woman has such an axe to grind. Was it NBA countdown that he wanted you removed from? Yes, he wanted me replaced. The, to take runs at the team, it's so transparent. We know you don't like the person. But in what world is it a, a mark against him that he was too happy for winning? Whether it's not an NBA championship or otherwise. Nobody's suggesting it's the same as winning an NBA finals. But we live in this world where somehow being adaptable and embracing new things when you're 40 fucking years old practically is somehow a bad thing. Name a profession where somebody has dominated that profession for 20 consecutive years and they still have the type of energy that LeBron went through that in-season tournament with. 30 points in 22 minutes against the Pelicans and he looked spry. And we're here cutting him down for being too invested. How happy do you think the NBA is? The face of the league embraced it in the way they did because we all sit here and bitch and moan about load management and guys not caring. You may have your issues with the formatting of the in-season tournament, but I don't think for a second anyone who watched that Pacers-Celtics game, anyone who watched that Lakers-Pelicans game or the final game, there is no world in which you can say these guys weren't busting their ass to win that thing. And that's a win. It's not the significance of the tournament. It's the quality of play. And in this situation, in the in-season tournament, there were plenty of games where these guys had relentless effort. Even in the run-up games, guys didn't take their foot off the pedal. I love seeing the Cavs. When we were racing for that margin of victory against the Hawks, we didn't let up. We didn't have a usual letdown. So I love the in-season tournament. But more than that, I hate the people who bitch and moan about how the NBA is and why the regular season doesn't mean anything. And then the moment the NBA tries to institute something, they just fucking whine, no matter what the outcome is. And it's especially rich to watch people who worked at ESPN, a network who just made up an award show not that long ago, the ESPYs, and has gone out of its way to try to convince people of the legitimacy of it. 
It's hilarious to watch these same people run down LeBron or the Lakers for embracing this idea that the league that employs them implemented in order to make the league as a whole stronger. It's pretty hypocritical. Nothing that's in its first year of existence, with no real history behind it, is going to feel meaningful. But everything has to start somewhere. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.